welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Today I'm speaking with Mary Heffernan. Mary is an extraordinary mom who originally lived in Northern California with her family. She was an entrepreneur living the suburban mom life. And then she had the inkling and the desire with her husband to move to a ranch in the northernmost part of California to start a cattle ranch. And now she and her family own five Mary's farms where they exclusively run this cattle ranch and sell their meat and live a life that is far different than their life that they previously lived um, in the Silicon Valley. So you're going to love getting to know how they made that transition, why they made that transition, and how the heck she knows how to do all the stuff that they do on the farm. She wasn't raised this way, and so even for her, she's surprised at the life she lives now. But she is truly thriving in this role as a business owner and as a mom. She's going to talk about what her girls have learned from living on this ranch and how it's transformed their family. It is a fascinating look at a very unique lifestyle, and I know you're going to absolutely love getting to know Mary Heffernan today. So let's get to it. All right. I want to welcome to the show, Mary Heffernan. Hi, Mary. Hi, thanks for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Where am I talking to you from today? I am um, sitting on the front porch at our little cabin on Sharps Gulch Ranch, which is our um, farm and ranch. We have been here for about three years, um, and we farm as Five Marys Farms. Wow. And so you're in Northern California, is that correct? Like the farthest north you can go, right? The farthest north you can go. Yeah. Okay. When people think San Francisco is, is Northern California, yeah. we're another six hours north. It's amazing how much bigger California is than you think. I'm in and I'm in San Diego, so I'm as far south as you can go. So we're on opposite ends. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Last time I went down to, to your end, I had to take two two plane flights. <laughs> oh my gosh! You just don't think of it like that. Wow. Well, I cannot wait to get into your backstory. But for people that may not be familiar with you already, will you just give a little background on who you are and a little bit about your family, and then we'll get into your motherhood journey. Sure, that sounds great. So um, I was born and raised in Northern California, the middle Northern, in, uh, outside of San Francisco in the Bay Area, kind of in the heart of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ra- wasn't was raised in the country. My dad was a lawyer and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and um, we had a pretty normal suburban upbringing and childhood. Um, and I went to college in Virginia and then um, I was pre-med. I was interested in medicine pretty much my whole childhood and teenage years. I did a lot of volunteering at Ronald McDonald House and worked with um, kids at Stanford Hospital with uh, childhood leukemia. So that was sort of always my path. And I moved home from college to take the MCAT and was studying for that um, in the Bay Area, kind of at the height of all the crazy dot-com era. Mm -hmm. And while I was taking the MCAT, I um, started tutoring kids as a, you know, way to kind of support myself while I was in those in-between years before I'd start med school. And, um, I just saw a huge need for a tutoring center, a tutoring organization in the Bay area to serve all of these, these kids. And I knew a lot of the teachers from growing up there. So 
I sort of evolved into starting this business that was um, called Academic Trainers. It's still there today, downtown Menlo Park. Um, and kind of doing that, I thought I would just do that to pay my way through medical school. But as I started doing that, I realized how much I loved the business side of things. And um, Academic Trainers kind of launched me into another small business that I opened and then another. And I quickly figured out that that was sort of the path I wanted to take. And wow put med school in, on the, the back burner. And of course, never, that never happened. But um, I, I love doing small businesses. So I um, was still in the Bay Area and met my husband there. And he is from a more agricultural background. His dad was a farmer. He farmed um, trees and row crops, walnuts and almonds and prunes. So uh, much different kind of agriculture, but, you know, a similar type of background. Um and I'd always been sort of drawn to that lifestyle anyway. You know, I tried, I rode horses and kind of tried to find those avenues, even though we were growing up in Silicon Valley. So I was super excited when I met him that he was interested in those sort of things too. I, I think he was the only single guy in the area that was driving a big old diesel pickup truck. <laughs> it's hard to park up there. <laughs> yeah, they are. He parked around the corner the first two, three, two or three dates because he didn't want me to see I drove a pickup. I'm like, no, wait, I love that. So, um, we and he was a lawyer at a big firm, and when we got pregnant with our first, um, we he decided to go off on his own and do kind of a more entrepreneurial law uh, practice. And then a couple of years later, I'd opened a few more businesses and accidentally opened up a restaurant. I was trying to do more of a clubhouse because I I had two kids by then, and I loved you know going out to eat with my friends for lunch or going out with my husband and finding really good food, but you can't, you know, going into a restaurant with little kids, they look at you like, oh, geez, how many high chairs do you need? Right, and right. So um, I opened up a restaurant that had a playroom in the back that was all um, very, you know, Montessori based, wooden toys. It had a big saltwater fish tank the kids could climb in and out. So a very like sensory learning based playroom. And the kids could, ch you could check your kids in there after you ate or have them eat down there. But the idea was sort of that you know, you could have dinner as a family with great farm-to-fork to sourced food, and then when your kids are done eating in six minutes, you send them down to the playroom right. to enjoy themselves for an hour, and you and your husband can, you know, finish a glass of wine or two and really enjoy yourselves. So um, the restaurant did really well in the Bay Area, and um, my husband kind of started helping me with that aspect of things, and he's really great with the food side and the creative side of things. I think he realized he liked doing and he wasn't really getting that opportunity as much being a, a lawyer. So um, he started practicing less law and helping me more with the restaurants. And we ended up opening a second restaurant and we're in the process of opening a third um, that was going to be a high-end burger house with the, a Michelin rated chef I knew from growing up who wanted to do more approachable food. So it was this huge project we were working on for two years and we were um, in the, the final build out stages uh, when we were looking to source our beef we really wanted meat raised ethically and humanely. Um, we wanted uh, this barley finish that we do. We wanted a 28-day dry age. So it was kind of this unique product that we had learned through all of this restaurant testing was exactly what we wanted, but we couldn't find a small farm really doing it the way we wanted. Hmm. Um, so we kind of naively thought, oh, we'll just do this ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> we found this property up here that was perfect. You know, we didn't look at community or anything here except land and water. And so we bought this property, um, 
you know, on a very quick, like, let's just jump in and do this. Um, we closed on it and started procuring our herd. My brother-in-law luckily is a cattle rancher. So he was very helpful in that. Um, and we were coming up here every weekend, um, you know, with four kids in four car seats and a six to eight hour drive each way, depending on traffic. And the eighth out of nine weekends, we, um, came up, we just driving back to the Bay area, we thought, what are we doing? We, we love this lifestyle up here and we'd met such great people and we loved the community and the way the kids could just, you know, run around barefoot all day. And so we just decided to totally switch gears and, um, he gave up his, his law practice. He had some people join him and he, uh, had another person kind of take over his spot. And then we sold our businesses. Um, we sold eight of them. I kept one the academic trainers is kind of my business baby. That's still going strong. Um, and then, uh, moved up here full time and kind of had to switch gears immediately into, all right, now we're, we're not going to provide meat for our own restaurant. So how are we going to make this work? We didn't really want to do the traditional angle of selling cattle commercially at auction. We wanted to take them start to finish from the whole um, on our ranch and still continue to provide that product that we sought out to, to as, as uh, the means for um, why we started this whole project. So we didn't sell our house for a couple months because my husband was like, let's make sure that you can like, <laughs> yeah. <live> the <laughs> right. Before you go completely all in. Yeah. 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 So we, um, we came up for the summer and I had, you know, some reservations and fears about, you know, living in the winter, our houses, we went from 4,000 square feet to 700 square feet with four kids and there's no heat or AC. It's only a wood stove. It's a totally different lifestyle. So, um, I had some reservations, but the minute we actually got here, I never had a second thought or looking back or, a or any kind of, you know, change of heart. I was really, all in and kind of embraced this change of, of lifestyle. So, um, we, we ended up selling our house, I think about five or six months later, and we've been up here ever since. And what did other people think? I know that you said that your husband came more from an agricultural background than you did. Was there anybody saying you, this sounds kind of like a crazy leap. Like this is yeah. such a departure. What were yeah. people saying? Everybody did, especially because it was a very kind of sudden decision. And then when we, luckily we had a, um, a buyer who was interested in all of our businesses, but you know, of course we couldn't talk about it until they were all sold. Right. So it's just like one day we're like, guess what? <laughs> we're the ranchers we're farmers now. And everyone was like, are you crazy? Is this a midlife crisis? But, um, I mean, people who knew us well, I think knew that this was always a dream of ours. We'd yeah. always be ever since we'd gotten married and the timing was never right. Um, but yeah, people definitely questioned like, Oh, you're never going to make it. And people who like were more in the ranching community were like, Let, let's see if this girl can really hang. And right. Um, no, my, everybody knew my husband, this was like his dream come true. Cause he wanted to, to follow in his dad's footsteps, but his dad told him, you know, that you got to go make a living first and then maybe come back to farming. Um, and his dad passed away the year that we moved up here. So it's wow. it all kind of came full circle. Wow. That is probably the most unique background we've ever had on the podcast. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. I think that is so amazing. And a theme with a lot of the women that I talk to is that sometimes the vision that we have for our life does not turn out like we envisioned originally and how being open to like the possibility of just about anything, that's what keeps you the most present and the most happy versus clinging too tightly to a certain vision. Don't you think? Yeah, it's so true. I think, you know, I, 
I like change and I kind of embrace change, but, um, I think just following the path and, you know, there, there's no way to say, this is what I want my life to be. You kind of just go along and see what comes your way and make the best of it. Right. And if this really hadn't have worked out for you, you could have changed again because I mean, you've been a self-starter your whole life. It sounds like, so it's like, you know, you can always readjust, but you felt really strongly that this was, this was the new place and this is the new normal. And I love that. I love that good attitude. Well, so let's talk about, let's go back to your motherhood journey a little bit. So by the time you move up there, you had four girls, four girls. Yeah. um, One through five, one through five. So how does your life compare, you know, having suburban life with four children versus your life now we'll go and well, like, what does a day in the life look like? now for you? So, um, overall my kids are so much more independent Mm -hmm. and in in a lot of ways easier. It's, it's, you know, people think this must be so hard to parent here, but I think it's actually easier because you're, you're really back down to the basics and what's really important. And the kids are, the kids have to help out. Um, so, you know, my old, we call it our old life and new life, but yeah. in my old life, I was working full time, obviously, you know, entrepreneur. So my kids were usually with me when they were still nursing or little, but we still had to have two nannies and I had a housekeeper five days a week and life was just really complicated. Yeah. Um, and up here, we don't have any help. I mean, not even a once a week housekeeper. They're just, we have, we finally just hired a, a ranch hand who helps my husband, um, mostly with, you know, all of the feeding and fixing fence and calving and all that. But, um, I've really kind of learned it was hard. That was probably the hardest thing for me, not in a way that I was stressed about, but just like, Oh wow, this is, things are different up here. So, you know, I'd get frustrated with the fact that, you know, the laundry, which is three times more laundry yeah, <laughs> in the dirt. But I just realized like I have four kids and this is what they do. This is why I had four kids. So they you know, have learned to do the laundry and to help clean the house. And, you know, the three-year-old loves cleaning the bathroom and she doesn't always do a perfect job, but she gets it done. Right. So, um, you know, we, we don't have in our, in our old life and suburban existence, there was a lot of stress around getting to activities and getting to, um, scheduled play dates and birthday parties, or even just, you know, dinner with another family where there was a lot of expectations, you know, you've got to bring something and bring wine and the kids have to be dressed and well-behaved and you get there and kind of have like feed the kids quickly and have a few hours to enjoy the other adults. And then you go home and got to get the kids bathed in bed. And, you know, the, the social aspect of that is a lot more, it takes a lot more work. Whereas up here, um, we don't socialize as much per se. We, we definitely have a lot of people, um, visiting and stopping by. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a great community of families here, but we, so it's, the socialization is more around necessary events. Like, you know, the, the, um, 4-H, uh, fundraisers or the kids, um, fairs or kind of school sponsored events that are, just seem to be a little bit simpler and easier to, to manage. Mm-hmm. And we live in a small town. Everything's right here. There's never any traffic. Um, the grocery store is about half an hour away. We have a little one in town that, you know, you can get everything you need, but to kind of go and really stock up on supplies. I just go once a week and get everything we need. 
Um, and obviously, you know, we've got meat and eggs and honey and a lot of the stuff we need right here. So even though it's a lot more work and we're up from sun up to sundown, just taking care of the ranch and the animals. Yeah. It's, it to me is a lot um, more, you know, down to the basics of what is really important to get done. And the animals come first. The kids know that, you know, we don't eat dinner till oftentimes 930 or 10 because we've got we we finish chores just about sundown. And then if there's a cow in labor or um, <laughs> you know, a piglets in distress or somebody's hurt and needs doctoring, that, that comes first. So, wow. um, you and know, they just roll with it. Yeah. They just, they roll with it and, and they're, they're pretty, they've adapted really well to this lifestyle. And I think we probably underestimate our kids about their ability to adapt. Don't you think? Totally. I think that, you know, it's so important to remember that your kids live up to your expectations of Mm -hmm. them. And I think just as a society, we've lowered our expectations for what children can do. And, you know, we've kind of given more into the, they need to be entertained, but, um, you know, kids, kids will, will live up to whatever you expect of them. And, you know, we've got, my girls have to drive our little ranger quads around when we're moving cows. And, you know, even the, the four-year-old is out there driving around Well, she's five now, but when she was four, <laughs> she'd be out there with her binky driving around to ranger, helping get cows in. You know, we, we couldn't do it without her. So we had to train her to do it right. safely and kind of just, that's the way it has to work. Right. And just like any of the chores, I'm sure that if you take the time to train them up front, you know, you can expect a higher quality product out of them and they'll rise to that occasion. Yeah. And, the, you know, the more times they do it, the easier it gets. And then it's kind of just second nature. They're, they're, they're really helpful. Yeah. But when you had a one-year-old who's not ready, obviously, to do chores and things right. like that, what was, what was she doing? And what did you do with her? She would kind of pal around with us. Um, we didn't, to send the other one to preschool mm-hmm. until this year. So she would help take care of her. And, um, you know, we, if they're, st- when it's really cold out, they stay in the house in the morning and we put in a landline, which the kids were like, what is this thing with this spirally <laughs> cord? And- Connected <laughs> so, to the wall. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, have just an easy push button for mom or dad. And so they, they call us if they need us. Cause obviously we're still on the ranch, but uh-huh. we can be, you know, way out with the cows. And so they, um, they will make their own breakfast and kind of take care of each other. And, and then most of the time they'll just be palling around with us on a ranger um, and just kind of on the sidelines. If we need to do something important, they know that they need to, you know, stand, stand where it's safe and they'll just kind of play with rocks or sticks or whatever they need to do. But they kind of just mesh into the whole operation. I love that familial aspect of this whole business. I just love that. I think that is so great. It is neat. You know, it's the, um, the lifestyle of ranching. I never really understood till I was living it, but when people are raised in it, they have such a strong desire to raise their own families on a ranch. And it, it really is that aspect. I mean, it's hard work and there's never a lot of money in it. And people just really want to grow up around, want to raise their, their family around it because, of those aspects that you really can't find anywhere else. No, definitely not. And that's definitely a rare type of lifestyle that you'd have to seek out. Um, yeah, it's not just your go-to, like, where are we going to live? Oh, let's live on a ranch. Right, yeah. And there's there's so many different facets to figure out. Um, starting out as a new, a new ranchers yes. was tricky. And, um, you know, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome. But luckily, the ranching community is very welcoming and, um, helpful. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, 
you scratch my back, I'll scratch yeah. yours. Community where when when we need help or a favor, you know, money is hardly exchanged because it's always like, well, I'm sure I'll need something, so here you go. I'm going to help you with this piece of equipment or give you this spare, you know, construction materials I have, and then you just kind of know that everybody's out to help each other, which I think, especially coming from the Bay Area, was a very different um, kind of community aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what your girls are seeing from an early age. Like you just do what you can to help your neighbor and vice versa. And that's just the way things operate. And a lot of kids don't have that example all the time. Yeah, it's true. I know it's, um, it is neat for them to see that. That's so cool. This is just so fascinating. So obviously you have a lot of duties during the day and a lot of chores, how do you juggle being a mom and being present with them? And also, I mean, you worked full time before, so you're used to juggling a lot. How do you find intentional time to be with your kids? And what does that look like in, in your phase of life and where you are? You know, we, we are so busy doing so many different things all day. Um, and I do the, um, all of our online sales, we obviously mm-hmm. sell direct to consumers. So I have to keep up our website and our inventory and orders and packing orders and getting them on the FedEx truck. And so sometimes I have to balance my day between a lot of the, um, paperwork and office work and then physically packing and getting orders out and then taking care of the animals and helping my husband and doctoring animals and birthing babies. And so, <laughs> you know, the, but the parenting just kind of goes along right with that. The, you know, if the girls, um, the girls are, are helping us every step of the way. And when you're, when you live where you work, you're not ever really in this rush of, I feel like, you know, Oh, I'm at work. I should get home or I'm at home. I should get to work. Mm -hmm. It's all just your existence. So, you know, the kids, um, we get time like this, this morning I was processing orders on, the computer and uh, Tessa was sitting right next to me and was reading a book to the dog. And she asked me to read a chapter and it's like, you know, I set the computer down and pull her on my lap and we read a chapter and then she knows I need to kind of get back to work. So mm-hmm. I don't really have find that I, I struggle for finding time to fit in with them because they're always with us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that perspective because I think sometimes we, we overanalyze compartmentalizing our life. Like, okay, now I'm on with the kids and now I'm doing dishes and don't bother me. And, you know, like we need, if we can bring our kids into the fold and into the chores with us and into the cooking and into whatever, then we don't really have to like divide out our time quite as much as I think we might think we need to. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. And I struggled a little bit um, in the beginning with, you know, if I'm checking an email on my phone or on my computer was I not being present with them and were yeah. they, you know, going to remember mom as half the time being on some electronic device, right. but they realize that that's how we make a living here. And, you know, we're, we're raising the animals, but we also have to sell the animals. So they have, they're learning a lot about commerce and mm-hmm. entrepreneurial, entrepreneurship and farming and that, you know, there's a lot of steps to it. So they're pretty good about knowing that, you know, mom has to spend time on her phone, but it means that I don't have to go, you know, into an office somewhere on the ranch and and be away from them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So how do you know how to do all these things? I mean, you're (laughs) doing everything from the books, which you may have had some experience with, obviously from running your own businesses before to birthing calves, Mary, how, how do you learn how to do all this stuff? Thankfully, YouTube videos have been helpful. <laughs> I do not think I could do, I could have changed to this lifestyle without the internet, which is yeah. so funny because it is, you know, you think of it as like a homesteading type of basic 
back to your roots lifestyle. Yes. But it is so complicated and so many things that you just have to figure out. Like we yeah. didn't have a large animal vet anywhere in our whole county when we moved here. So, well, that's not true. And in, anywhere in our valley, there, mm-hmm. we didn't have a large animal vet. So when there was an issue, we had to solve it. And, you know, every, every male on the ranch has to be castrated. And that is something my husband was like, well, he, I like the kind of blood and guts and gore a little more than he does. So yeah, this is back to your medical aspirations. Right. I can do that. No problem. Uh But you know, even reading a book, it's like, okay, how exactly does this work? So I just Google it, you know, YouTube video. And I found a great video of a Swahili man castrating a pig and with subtitles. And I was like, okay, now I get it. And went out with my scalpel and iodine. And now I've castrated all the pigs and all the sheep and all the calves. And, um, so, you know, some things is trial and error and some things you learn by calling people who've done it before you. I, I mentioned that Brian's dad passed away and he was very active in the farming community in California. He was on the ag board and the water council. And, um, and it's really neat because a lot of people that he mentored, um, when they were younger and kind of starting out in the farming community have come back to give us advice and they, they're so, um, open with their time and so helpful because they feel like, you know, they're giving back to what they could never really thank him for doing. He he got, he had Parkinson's for 20 years and was really sick. So, um, you know, he never really understood that Brian had come back to farming, but, um, it's neat to see that it all, it all comes full circle Yeah, and we have great neighbors, you know, people, Brian and I were pulling our first calf, which means the, the calf is stuck in labor mm. in the, inside the cow. And, um, so we had it in our corrals and really didn't know what we were doing. You know, we'd read books and watched a few YouTubes, but when you're in the moment, it's with a 1400 pound cow and a hundred pound animal stuck inside her. It's pretty stressful. I would think so. so. We stayed in through dark and we finally got the calf out and you know, it was, it was a great result, but it's things like that, that really are the only way um, to learn some of the aspects of this farming. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing what you can learn. What would surprise us the most about your life at the present? I think probably the, the lifestyle of kind of what we went from living on a daily basis to how we live now. Like mm-hmm. My kids up until a couple months ago were all sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> you know, and they went in our old house, they had their cute little room with all the matching twin beds and, you know, the land of nod bedding and pillows and it's adorable little rooms and nurseries. And, and now we're in this 780 square foot cabin and, um, you know, it has a tiny kitchen and no heat, just a wood stove in the center of it and two little tiny bedrooms with the shared bathroom. And, um, it's such a 180 from how we were living, but it's, when we moved up here, my husband, that's one thing he was worried about. So we, we had an um, architect draw plans for a, a big house here. And as soon as we were ready to submit to the county, you know, it's a much shorter process when you live more rurally than it, than I was used to. Mm-hmm. I, we kind of got cold feet like, wait, why do we, we don't really want to leave this house yet. And maybe someday, but not now. So, and it's been um, almost three years and we're still super happy in this little tiny house that, yeah. um, you know, by a lot of standards, my, my sister came to visit and was just shocked. <laughs> I don't understand how you can live here and everything's so dirty. And it's like so much more work. And, you know, I'll, I'll send her a picture of me with my millions of layers on and wool hat and a huge stack of wood that I've just chopped and 
you know, like a exclamation point, like, look, I'm so stoked. I just took all this wood now, you know, I've got firewood for the next like three or four days. And she's like, yeah, I press a button on my fireplace. Like, I don't understand. Yes. (laughs) Do that. So, um, we, we bumped up into the attic and we have a little more room in this little house now, but we really have no, no intention of, um, of moving out of it or building anything bigger anytime soon, because we've found so many, um, neat things about having young kids and being together as a family in a small house that I felt like we were missing a little bit in a bigger house. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it can be shocking for people to come and and see our, our little tiny cabin that used, used to be a a chicken, um, coop in our house. Interesting. Wow. It is. And you would have never pictured yourself in that setting 15 years ago, right? No, like, you know, we got married, we, we lived in a cute little starter home and then we bumped up to a bigger house and bumped up to a bigger house and thought, you know, this is the path we're supposed right. to be on, right? And then to go back to something smaller than our original starter home feels like, wait, are you going the wrong direction? But you, you just realize that there's, um, you know, we say we have a tiny house with a big backyard and yeah. that sort of, it suits us more and it, it's obviously suits the lifestyle a little bit more. Absolutely. Is there anything you miss from your old life? Um, sushi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's probably not much of that in your small town, huh? (laughs) No, no. I can go where we have a a target is an hour and a half away. Um, and they have, you can get, that's in Oregon, Medford, Oregon. I can Uh get sushi there, but uh, no, sometimes we have some, we have some good restaurant options here in town. We have five different restaurants, but sometimes I miss sushi. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Wow. Um, how would you say your motherhood has evolved? Like you said, like your life was so different and your schedules and everything in your old life. And here's your new life with far more freedom. How have you evolved as a mom? Like, do you I, notice a difference in yourself? I, I do. And I think I notice a big difference in my kids mm-hmm. um, related to how I, I parent and what kind of is important. You know, when they were little, I always had them in matching outfits and matching bows and, you know, all coordinated and that part of like, you know, bringing up these little girls was important to me. And here they are just ragamuffins. I mean, they barely have shoes on. They're all in hand-me-down clothes because they just get torn anyway. And they, um, they, they really take care of themselves a lot more. Like I, I don't ever, they, you know, fold their own laundry, put their own laundry away. They get dressed themselves in the morning. They usually make their own breakfast and lunch and they kind of have to learn to be self-sufficient, you know, like getting ready for school if they want to pack a lunch, they do it themselves or they have the school cafeteria lunch and they, um, when they get home, you know, they are, we, I kind of just go right to work and they either tag along with me or they stay outside to read or play, you know, build their own games outside, but they kind of control their own lives is a little independent, you know, person much more than being parented. Um, you know, granted we still guide them and try to, teach them to make good decisions, but their day-to-day existence, um, I don't really do too much for them. Like we, we make a big family dinner, but you know, they're setting the table without being asked because if it doesn't get done, we're all going to sit down and you know, nobody's going to have a fork to eat with. So they, they, um, they kind of have had to learn to be more independent and, um, function more with, uh, on a day-to-day basis, making those decisions by themselves mm-hmm. out of necessity, mm-hmm. really. But, um, you know, I, I like how it's changed them into being kind of more problem-solving, independent little people. Right. I think that is 
yeah, great lessons to learn. And often the tendency is to go the opposite direction of helicopter parenting in this day and age and, you know, plugging our kids into electronics and things. But you're really just taking it back to the basics, like you've said. And I think without even going to the extreme that you have, there's a lot that we can learn from you and your lifestyle where it's like, okay, get your kids outside more. Let them, you don't have to be their cruise director. Let them, you know, create their own fun and games and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, so many um, products even now that you can put so much money into yeah. are designed to provide entertainment for kids. You know, even these like monthly boxes that yeah. have crafts and, you know, science experiments. It's like, that's great, but they don't really need all that stuff. They right. just give them some sticks and some screws and a hammer and see what they can, <laughs> you know, put together outside. And so I, I think, um, you know, kids are, kids can figure things out on their own so well if they yeah. just kind of have the area to do it. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of a random question, but like, what do you give them for Christmas? Um, not too much, okay. mostly because we don't have any space. space. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like last year, or the first year we moved up here, they got um, a combined gift. It was a, a little two-man buggy, mm. um, kind of like a quad that they could drive around the ranch. So they, yeah. you know, if we're up a mile up the hill, they can come see us there. And, you know, it was probably more expensive than we wanted to buy, but it was the safest model possible, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a big important to us to provide them with these tools where they can kind of be wild and free as safely as possible. Right. Um, it's something we kind of struggle with. Like when we bought it, my mom was like, they can't drive that. They're too little. That looks so dangerous. And it's like, mom, yeah. it's okay. We're, they're going to wear helmets and, and it's the safest one there is. So we're going to teach them to be safe. Right. And they, they, you know, kind of figure out that they need to make good decisions about it. But, um, you know, they get gifts from family members that are mm -hmm. still the toy kits with 20 plastic pieces. And right. just okay. sort of <laughs> they get thrown out very quickly. Yeah. Because the pieces get scattered get everywhere, but um, yeah. no, it's it's much more minimalist. When we moved here um, and we sold our other house, you know, we have kind of our old life in these three shipping containers in the back, and sometimes the girls will go in and find some stuff and bring it in the house, and so we go through about once every couple months, and they line up all the toys and dolls and whatever on the couch and they each get to pick one big thing and three little things hmm. and those stay in the house and everything else goes back in the container. Hmm. And then, you know, they, they play with those so much more when there's just not much there. It's like the little right. house on the prairie girls that yeah. you know, play with one doll. It's like, there's a lot of truth to that. I love that. I love that. So obviously your job is very physically demanding. How do you recharge Mary? What do you do? Um, when you're not doing chores. I, scroll through Instagram mostly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people will definitely want to follow you on Instagram. Where can they find you on Instagram? Because that's how, well, you're, you were friends with Peggy growing up, Peggy Nosti. Yeah. And so that's yeah, how I initially found out about, okay. Yeah. So that's how I initially found out about you. Um, but yeah, so you're on Instagram and you're so good at documenting your life and it's just such a departure from my daily life. And so I love following you. So where can they find Thank you? you. Um, yeah, Instagram is really fun for me because it helps. I love being connected to people that way. And mm -hmm. it is, it is kind of my like little getaway where I can, you know, talk about, share what, what's happening on the ranch and also, you know, talk to other people, whether they're ranchers or whether they're like, wow, this life is so different than mine. It's just a really fun way to connect with people. Right. So my handle is Mary Heff, H-E-F-F -F, dot 
number five Mary's Farms. Okay. Um, it's kind of long, but I had to add the five Mary's Farms once we really started farming. Yes. Uh, and our website is fivemarysfarms.com, and there's a link to my Instagram on that as well. Okay, and I'll put this all in the show notes as well. So you love to scroll through Instagram. Anything else that recharges you? Um, we have a, a really beautiful river on our property and sometimes I'll just sneak down there and take my boots off and put my feet in the river and kind of just sit for a few minutes. And it's sort of my spot that I can go and, you know, nobody really notices I'm gone for a few minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Just that peace and quiet. Yeah. But I also, I love doing projects and keeping busy and there's so many, you know, we have this, um, this other house that's an old eight bedroom Victorian on the property that we didn't choose to live in when we moved here because it was just a little bit too much work to keep up and the kitchen is was sort of an addition on the back and it, it wasn't as family friendly um but we use that for guests and um sorry we've got hay trucks going by You're right good. now <laughs> um and so I love to decorate the spaces and go you know vintage shopping I um if I can get off the ranch I'll go find some garage sales or um antique shops and I love kind of finding those little trinkets and things so yeah um that is a kind of recharge for me as well. That's awesome. Mary, I love this. I love this so much. I can never picture myself doing it ever in a million (laughs) years. But like you said, like you couldn't either 15 years ago and here you are. So I love the possibility of the future for each and every one of us. You know, you just never know. And you can create any life that you want to that's meaningful to you and your family's values. It's really true. I love it. So many options out there. So great. All attainable. So great. Well, I always ask my guests one final question and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think to, you know, not worry about the details so much and, um, and all the things that go with mothering. You know, I, when I first had babies, I was so into the baby gear and the strollers and uh, what I needed to have a baby that, you know, I, I've realized more once I'm at the ranch that those things aren't as important. You know, you really need onesies and diapers and some, some basics and that the kids can sort of figure out the rest. So, mm-hmm. um, while I, I think it was fun for me as a new mom to kind of get into all the baby gear, I realize now that, uh, kids don't need much except, you know, love and guidance from their parents. And in our case, some w- wide open outdoor spaces to run mm-hmm. around barefoot. I love that. I love that so much. That's great advice. It's easy to get wrapped up in all of that, but you have a choice if you're going to yeah. get wrapped up in that or not. Yeah, it's true. And sometimes it's fun for a while and mm-hmm. then you kind of change gears. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is so awesome. Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on the podcast today. I think you're doing extraordinary work and, and I love this perspective that you have on motherhood. I think it's beautiful. Well, thank you. It was really great to chat with you too. Thanks so much. And if people want any more information about more about your family and your farm and following you on Instagram, they can go to extraordinarymomspodcast.com and all the info will be there. Okay, that sounds great. Thanks so much, Mary. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Jessica. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Isn't that a fascinating look at a completely different lifestyle than you might be living today? I want to thank Mary for being on the show today and for sharing her perspective on motherhood and her personal journey. I love that we can empower our kids to do way more than we think that they might be capable of doing. We can teach them how to do their chores and contribute to the family. And whether you live on a farm or whether you live in a townhome or an apartment or wherever you may be right this second, enjoy where you are. And I love we can learn so much from moms that might be leading a very different life than us. And Mary is an extraordinary mom who is 
really, I mean, what impresses me most is her ability to evolve over time, going from a suburban life and truly living in that space and then transitioning what seems to be seamlessly (laughs) to this ranch life. I mean, that just astounds me and is fascinating. So thanks so much, Mary. I also want to tell you happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a wonderful, special holiday with your family. I count you among my greatest blessings. My listeners who have sustained this podcast and taken it from zero to 60, I am so thankful that I get to bring you these episodes every week and that you are giving me the feedback that this is inspiring you and encouraging you every week, and that's why I do it. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you for sharing the podcast, leaving ratings and reviews. All those things just mean so much. I'm really excited for this Friday's episode. After the hustle and bustle of Thanksgiving on Friday, there'll be a brand new episode featuring my favorite holiday gift ideas. It'll be things that you might want to put on your wish list. It's ideas for what to give your kids, what to give your spouse, neighbor, teacher, friend, gift ideas. I'm going to cover the whole gamut and what are my favorite things lately. We have some discounts. We have a giveaway that I'm going to be doing and we'll discuss that on Friday. And I'm just excited about all these awesome products. Some you may be familiar with and some you maybe have not. So I'm excited to do that for you. So if you don't follow me on Instagram yet, you can do that at jessicadalquist 3 That way you can get all the information about giveaways and the podcast and my family and things like that. You can find me on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast and on our website, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Happy Thanksgiving, and I'll see you Friday for another episode. Have a great week. Bye.